Okay. So morning, my name's Colin. Um, actually, I don't know, I haven't seen the printed um, newsletter. I tend to settle for the emailed version. But if you didn't get the emailed version, I don't think it's there. Did you guys see this? Obviously, uh, this is what Liz does on, her, 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 uh, on Fridays when I'm not there to hassle her. Um, but it's entirely appropriate. Uh, yes, my uh, office and lots of um, things are, are a mess at the moment. It's a really strange phase of life because we're going to move out. And um, so uh, at the end of the service, there'll be cheese rolls and a bit of a family forum, just to give you an update on where things are at. Um, I quite liked it. If you can't read it, his pastor column was always one to set an example for his staff and led him well with his efficient orderly packing system. And if you really want to laugh, stick your head in my office and you'll see that that's mild vision. Um, it, uh, in fact, um, this is the cartoon that actually started haunting me about 20 years ago. There comes a moment when all the cables, leads, battery chargers and power adapters we have ever owned gather together, assemble themselves around us and ask us the terrible question, what has happened to your life? <laughs> and I mean, I do find that frightening because I have had so many electronic gadgets in my life and so many adapters, it's, it's frightening. Hey, so we're in, um, we're in week three of um, On the Road with Jesus, where we're trying to pay attention to some of the brave things Jesus did and said, and asking, well, what does that mean for us? And, um, and to get going, that, uh, how would you like it? Would you like us to do a simulated bus ride here? No. Sit next to... <laughs> some, people, some people would love it, some people would hate it. Um, it's kind of odd trying to connect to people next to you, and I don't know how it is for you guys, but... Um, the way we live now doesn't make it easy. We have fences outside our houses. Um, we now no longer walk out, to the, uh, walk out of our doors to get into the car. You, know, you get into the car in a garage and out you drive. And when do you meet your neighbour? When anybody have that experience when the neighbor, new neighbour moves in the next door and you think, ooh, who are they? Can we get to know them? And then you have to try and manufacture an excuse. Because they're kind of, they're just, just not there. They're in the bubble car or in, they're in the house. Or the, um, and I, I was remembering a, a blue sky day when um, neighbours moved into the house next door in Invercargill. And, uh, and actually with a little bit of self-interest, I was looking across thinking, how am I going to bump into them? Well, he was trimming the hedge out front. I thought, this is my chance to, you know, oh, I just happened to go outside, so off I, I happened to go along and started up a conversation, which started off well, he was doing the house up, they were a young married couple with no kids, quite young to own a house actually, I thought, uh, it was all looking good until I said, oh, you must come over for a meal, or a drink, and it turned out that they were exclusive brethren. Now, I, I don't know if you know the exclusive brethren, but they don't eat and drink with outsiders. They do drink, they drink quite a lot actually, but they don't eat and drink with outsiders. And I had a friend who used to teach at an exclusive brethren school, who wasn't exclusive brethren, and they had a special lunchroom for the outsiders. Because they are, they're separate, they see themselves as being set apart. And so um, eating with the outsiders, well we're not good enough, we're a bit impure. We're kind of unclean, so I'm only for your exclusive brethren. Thank you for gracing us with your presence um, and putting up with us. But we never really got to know these neighbours. <laughs> Funny that. 
And I tell you this story because in Jesus' time, there were two scales of things that seemed really important. There was this business of, uh, you can hopefully see on the graph, um, holy, set apart. So remember when Moses has this encounter with the burning bush and is told, take off your sandals. This is holy. This isn't just ordinary. And sandals, because feet in that place, in a hot, dry, dusty place, they're, they're awful. Sandals are, are, are dirty and disgusting. And so you have the stuff that's set off. And then there's the, obviously, if there's the set apart stuff, there's the common stuff. Eating a meal together is kind of common. Um, and, and then there's another little scale in here, which... Um, uh, so priests are set apart, and the temple, that's a holy place. What, what else would be a holy place? Okay, and then there's an opposite. So there's holy and common, and then there's clean. Somehow I've left it off the bottom, and unclean. So clean, obviously, is washed. Um, unclean, well, they had a series of things that were unclean. They, um, so clothes are kind of commonplace. They weren't special, but you know, if you're a priest, you would have a robe to wear um, to, to mark you off as being special. Clean and unclean, untouchable. So if you had a disease, well, that puts you in the untouchable thing. You'd stay away from those people because you might catch that. Um, you wouldn't want that to spread. Um, having breakfast, that would be kind of commonplace activity. That wouldn't be... Um, in the holy category. If you touched a dead person, then you instantly became unclean because they were seen as unclean. And there were some things that were kind of weird in there. Um, I've got M and NE, which is to say menstruation and nocturnal emissions is the technical language. Either of those two things would make you unclean. Um, and the, I remember the reading the famous story of a guy who tried to live the Bible, the Old Testament of the Bible, for a year and um, discovered that he wasn't supposed to sit in a chair that a menstruating woman had sat in. And um, his wife took offense. And so she went round and sat in every chair in the house. <laughs> and he went out and bought himself a little fold-up stool so he'd have somewhere to sit. <laughs> These things that make you clean or unclean. Um, we have modern-day versions. And here's another one, lobsters. Lobsters could make you unclean. Okay, you didn't eat them. And, and part of it for them was that the skin is really... Um, there are some things that are really important. The blood of a person is really important. The, the life is in the blood. So they would bleed meat before they ate it. Um, then uh, bones were important because after someone had decomposed, you still had the bones, and so you'd take the bones to different... You know, uh, where did Moses' bones go? But the skin was the boundary that marked you from the rest of the world. So they saw the skin as being actually a really important thing. Quite, you know, this is, the, the, this is where I start and stop is my skin. And, uh, and lobsters kind of don't have a skin. They have this exterior thing, and they thought that was kind of blah. Okay. So they have this sliding couple of scales, the holy stuff, the ordinary everyday stuff, clean and unclean. It was quite big for them, and obviously if you're in the unclean zone, you want to get out of that. That's a bad place to be. You, you expect that, that you would live in the ordinary common zone, and if you're really holy, well, where you want to get is up here to the temple. So once a year, you try and get to the temple when they had a temple. Make sense? We, of course, have stuff like this ourselves, and basically it wasn't possible to be holy and unclean. That, was, that, that zone's just nothing there. And the unclean is disgusting. That is blowing your nose on your hands. Going to the toilet and not washing. Uh, I could continue there. That's, that's got, that sense is... Bleh. 
Okay? Actually, can we have a collective blur? Yep, yep, disgusting. That's what it's like. And the equation was, if something holy touches something unclean, it becomes unclean. Yep, simple equation. And so if that's the case, you want to stay away from anything that's unclean, don't you? And of course, we've done this a bit, haven't we? There's a, a, a somewhat... Oh, here's another way of putting it. Do you, anyone remember that kind of... There's a bit in Harry Potter's where two people are fighting with wands? And you get the... <laughs> And you get which power's going to win, okay? As far as this is concerned, unclean always wins. That means he who shall not be named in a fight always wins. Yep, the baddie always wins in this setup. And, of course, we have our versions of this. We have things that we regard as disgusting or clean and things that we want to run away from. What kind of things are they? What would be unclean or disgusting? What do you think? What was that? The flu. Yes, I mean, disease is definitely one of the things that, that, that we, we feel nervous about. And of course, in our culture, we've got really good at washing to try and get rid of it. Vomit. Yes. Um, nurses here can um, trot out a whole series of uh, bodily fluid kind of things that, yep, yep. Actually, we do this, this assumption that unclean things will make us bad, we do this generally. Uh, and I think we tend to apply this to people who are other than ourselves. So I think we apply it to other sexualities. I think we apply it, uh, maybe we don't, but people do apply it to other nationalities, people who do things differently, immigrants. I think build a wall suggests that, well, I've got that disgusting thing, that's the disgusting. This is disgusting, so let's build a wall and keep them away. I think we can easily do it with other races, with anyone who is different to our leaning. We can do it with the poor. It's been done with gender. It's certainly done with disease. And actually, way back in uh, Christian Roots, before my time, there was this saying that um, Christians don't smoke, eat, or chew, or hang with folks who do. That's before my time. And if you're wondering, smoke, that's pretty obvious. Uh, smoke, drink. Uh, drink, drink alcohol, and chew was chewing tobacco. But the line is, they don't do this thing, uh, they don't do these things, and they don't hang with those who do. Because the assumption is, um, this famous saying, you become like the people you're with, you hang with. You've heard that? Um, which, of course, did Jesus follow that? Not at all. While there's a truth it's trying to express, in the end, it cuts you off. Because the assumption is the unclean, the bad stuff, is more powerful than anything else. And so we have to cut ourselves off. We have to build a wall. We have to keep them at arm's length. Because if you touch someone who... Well, actually, I mean, more recently for us, when AIDS first came up, that sort of sense of, oh, so-and-so might have AIDS. I might walk near them and catch it. You know, that kind of scary thing. Okay, so this is the background to the story that we're going to read, which is pretty short. And if you've got a Bible, open it up, cell phone, what device, it's Luke chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 12. So there's this guy, and Jesus described, um, in, in the Bible it's described that he has leprosy. That in fact, he's, some translations say full of leprosy, other translations say covered with leprosy. Which puts him where on the graph? 
Unclean, not just unclean, but very unclean. Because in Leviticus 13, it says, well, if anybody has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin, anyone feeling nervous now? Um, that might be, that may be a defiling skin disease. The priest declares they are unclean and they get isolated. They get sent out of the village. And what's more, anybody with such a disease has to wear torn clothes. Their hair should be deliberately unkempt and they should cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean and they must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So, <laughs> acne, anyone? Eczema? Um, actually, the term for leprosy, they think, um, is not what we think of as leprosy today. Um, there's, there's a few clues in it. Um, people don't seem, in the Bible, people don't seem to be healed of leprosy. They are cleansed of it. Okay, that's the language that is used. So they suspect that it's a much wider range of skin complaints. But anyway, there's a chap here, and he's in the unclean. He is cut off. He's not welcome. And in fact, can you imagine it? Let's just try put yourself in this role. You are an ordinary bloke or woman and you're living your ordinary life and one day you notice a sore spot, maybe at the back of your neck, and it itches a little bit. And you just have that moment of dread. You know, like when you find out you've got a little skin cancer thing, you think, oh, but now nah, everybody gets this, don't they? So life goes on and a week or two passes and... You figure it'll go away, but it doesn't. And then there's another, or it's a little bit bigger. And now you're starting to feel scared, so maybe you wear a scarf, just something to cover it up. See, if people find out, and suppose you're married with a spouse and kids, and what happens if people find out? You lose them. You get instantly set out, isolated. So you're hiding it. And you do that for a bit, and then, of course, well, you're, we're good at hiding things, but not that good. It comes out, doesn't it? And someone sees, and so you, you're sent to the priest who has a look and says, yep, diagnosis unclean, off you go, and you're suddenly homeless. Not allowed to see your wife or husband or kids or family or visit or touch them. When anyone walks near you, you're supposed to yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Not allowed to make yourself look good. Your hair has to be, label you as being bad. How are you feeling at this stage? That's like a disaster, isn't it? And that, just, just awful. You can no longer go to the market or the synagogue. How are you going to work? You can't work because nobody's going to go near you or touch you. So you're going to have to beg. I don't know where you're going to beg because they don't really want you in the village. And everybody who walks past you wrinkles their nose and goes, ooh. So years pass and you have no human contact. Nobody touches you. Apparently that happens to people as they get older. You can be hungry just for the touch of someone. And the disease spreads and maybe you're covered with it. And you can't go to the holy place because you're not holy. And, well, that's pretty unflash, isn't it? That would be your personal disaster of a huge quota. And the reason you can't go to the holy places is that 
Remember that equation? Unclean plus holy equals unclean. Well, you're going to mess it up. All right. I asked you to imagine that happens to you. But let's make it a little bit more personal because in the translations, like I said, they say covered with or full of. Well, all of us, if we've been on earth for more than a week, we're covered with or full of stuff. We're covered with or full of our life and experiences, our hurts and hopes, ambitions and failures. We're full of them. We're covered with them. Everywhere we go, they go with us. We can get together like we do now, and actually each one of us is carrying the experiences of our life, our diseases, our hurts and hopes. They're present with us, aren't they? Because we're not sort of ghosts floating around the paper. We're real people, and people scar and bruise. That's what life does to us. We get covered in it. But it's Sunday and we want to look good, so we'll pull up the scarf a bit. We won't show anyone our blemishes. <laughs> and we don't show anyone our blemishes because there's always the possibility that if they see them, they might go, oh, off you go to the priest. And we'll cut them off. You know that feeling? We do that. It's not just church. We do this in all sorts of groups. We do it in communities. One signal of this kind of stuff is it's the stuff that you feel ashamed of. Here we are in a group. What would you hate it if people knew? Whatever is coming to mind now. We're covered in that stuff. We're full of it. I've got a fair number of uh, buttons you can press, and if you press them, I will probably react in ways I'll be really ashamed of. Um, I avoid the game Pictionary because I love the creativism and the drawing, but I hate it when my team is yelling at me. It's just like, could you not yell? Um, we carry this stuff. And like all of you, I've got my fair share of hurts, scars, and disappointments, which they carry with me. It's not always bad stuff. Maybe as a kid, someone noticed you kick a football and said, wow, you're good at that, and so you kick footballs, and you're really good at football. You carry that with... It's, you become a great football player. We're, we're full of successes and gifts and abilities and fears and failures and hurts. Well, I'm not speaking for you. I'll speak for me. I am. And they can leave us lonely, alone, cut off and vulnerable and untouchable and untouched. They're the things that say, I can't go to town because they're not going to be good to me. They're the things that make us hard. They're the things that the bullies use to get to you. Because they love people that they can manipulate. Not to touch, but to throw stones at. So maybe you've heard about this chap, Jesus. And so far in Luke, he's healed lots of people. And notably, he's been touching them. Breaching a barrier, because remember, when something holy touches something unclean, it becomes unclean. And I think in our, somewhere in our religious selves, we think that we can't really come to Jesus with this stuff because we'll mess it up. All that stuff we're ashamed of, not just sin, but other stuff. 
So this guy, he comes across Jesus. And he falls with, with his face to the ground and begs, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, so far in Luke, in, there's a, in the birth story, there's a few people who speak of who Jesus is, but it's really only been impure spirits who have named Jesus as Lord. So kind of odd about this guy. He's named him as Lord. And then if you are willing, oh, doesn't that break your heart? All of us have that. God, are you willing? I said I reckon we all carry scars and hurts. And when Jesus touches you, sometimes we're healed and cleansed and sorted, which is amazing. Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. But not for everything. Not now. Even Jesus had that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, which sounds awfully like this, when he says, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He says, are you willing? Which sounds awfully like this guy. So you and me, covered in life, what do we bring to Jesus? And what will Jesus do? Remember, if you touch something, you become unclean. You become like the people you hang with. This guy is disgusting. And it might be contagious, like AIDS or measles. So really, Jesus should walk away. Walk away quickly, send you back outside the village because you shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be here. We're not allowed. The right thing to do, the priestly thing to do, the Old Testament holy thing to do is to pull back Back up and get out. But if you remember two weeks ago when we read from Luke chapter 4, Jesus declared it was the year of the Lord's favor. Not your favor, not the year of your favor, the year of the Lord's favor. So maybe you're not good enough and I'm not good enough. But favor is grace. It is gift. You do not earn it. And Jesus touches the man and touches us. And relights the script, the formula of the universe. Suddenly, holiness touches the unclean and holiness wins. The old game is over. I am willing, says Jesus, be clean. And once again, there's no mumbo-jumbo, no mincing around, no rigmaroles, no formula, no rushing off to the herb shop to get this, that, and the other. It's really simple and to the point to be clean. And the skin disease, the stuff that has covered him, that he is full of, is gone. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I'm not sure in our Christian lives if we ever get any further than this. Coming to Jesus, wanting to have a touch of Jesus. And Jesus surprises us. It's done. And I don't know about you, but it's done. That's story over. And we can't think, I wouldn't think about what to do next. I'd just be, yeah, it's off. But Jesus then talks about process. Don't go and tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. 
See, remember that Leviticus passage, Leviticus 13, when we quoted, was a description. Every seven days you had to go to the priest, and the priest would say, no, still unclean, off you go. But this time you get to go, and the priest can say, yep, clean, clean bill of health. You get to go back, welcome back to your life, your family, your house, maybe even your job. And it's a funny kind of moment, because we like to think of Jesus as king and priest and prophet And in this one, he's sending them off to a bunch of priests. He's actually acting as a prophet, not a priest. Maybe maybe there's some kind of um, role thing in there, or maybe he just knows the thing's not over until the community around has changed, until actually it's not just that you're healed, but other people know you're healed. In the early days of Parklands, I'm told we were regarded with a lot of suspicion because um, Parklands was holy rollers, early Bapticostals. And there weren't a lot around at that stage, and so um, there were things said, and they were suspicious of Parklands. But those who believe that God's Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, is amongst us, would love to have everyone touched by Jesus. That moment when things are solved, when holiness trumps our own disgusting inner people. Rod Robson called it Parkland's 1.0. And actually, I think there was a lot of that in the 1980s. And we still want that. Actually, we do. And it still happens. I don't see it happen quite as dramatically, but it's still that moment of God encounter where somehow the scales are just unbalanced in our favour. One more tiny bit in this passage. Luke's going back to the bigger story. He says that the news about him spread all the more and crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus withdraws, often withdraws to lonely places and prayed. He's turning into a rock star at the stage. Um, Everybody's talking about him. This is wonderful. And Luke wants us to know that even though there's all the success, Jesus is taking time out to be alone and pray. And maybe that's The new holiness, the old holiness was to completely withdraw and cut yourself off. Maybe the new holiness is to engage, but have moments when you withdraw. Maybe, I'm guessing. Not a holiness by cutting yourself off from a crowded, dirty, busy world, but one where you take unrushed, alone time with you and God. I've said a few times lately, I'm trying to explore this. I even find myself wondering sometimes I don't even know what I'm full of, what I'm covered in. I need time not rushing to just become aware of that. I, it kind of bubbles up, and it's not always stuff that you love. It's often stuff that you, you know, you'd really rather hide things I'd rather not feel. Sometimes I wonder, remember, the, um, I don't know if we have these things, remember we had iPods? You put an iPod on a cradle and it would sync. Well, we kind of, our phones are doing this all the time. I wonder if 
part of the prayer thing is us syncing with God and sometimes syncing with ourselves, just trying to get in tune. And Luke wants us to notice that, to notice that it carries on, that even Jesus needs time out. So that's today's story. I thought I'd get the team up. We'll do a couple of songs. After that, we'll um, have some cheese rolls, buy some cheese rolls, <laughs> have a cup of tea or coffee, and then we'll have a family forum. But I wanted to invite all of us to consider what is it that you are covered in and full of? What's the stuff that might make you nervous? Yes, I could be full of it. Um, uh, the stuff that might make you nervous to approach Jesus or to share with others because you think, oh, that's, that's not good. Because I think we all carry it. And I'd like to invite you in the next couple of songs to be thinking, God, can I offer that to you? And inviting Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, to reach out put his hand on your shoulder. And it might be that you don't sing, that you say to somebody else, okay, can we pray? Because everything else aside, when you bring Jesus into the mixture, it trumps our worst. And if nothing else, you would hope, I would hope that in church we would be the people who can be honest because we face our worst and know that our Christ is bigger and that nothing can separate us from his love. I'm going to pray if I could have the team come up. If you're with someone you know and you want to pray with them, just ask them. If you're feeling like, oh, you can come and sit up the front and I just ask if you're happy to pray with someone, just keep an eye out. Uh, here we are, God, we've got this life. We've got the things that we like to hide. We've got the things we're ashamed of. We've got the buttons. We know that the patterns, you know, someone pushes that. and We've got all that stuff, and it makes us want to withdraw from others and withdraw from you, but you are greater than this. Your love melts this. You forgive, you heal. We invite your present spirit in amongst our gathering to move amongst us. Amen.